hope the president's watching. Not the day. Gary Hoffman. This guy is a petulant child. That's what he is. Shannon Farron. Oh, girl, it's cold out there. Gary and Shannon. What? No. Yeah. We are going to kick your rear end out of the White House on this one. This is also a great rainy day album to listen to. Gary and Shannon on this Thursday, November 21st, KFI AM 640 Live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Let's uh, let's send our good wishes to uh, to Shannon. She's um, she clearly caught something when she was in Mexico, and as much as she wanted to fight it, uh, she put up a valiant fight and it knocked her out. So. She's uh, she'll be back. Maybe Monday, but she'll be back. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd rather wear my underwear three days in a row. Yeah, she had been saying that she was looking for a cleanse. Uh, this may be <laughs> an un you know unintended maybe version of that same sentiment. But, um, I'm surprised it took this long to uh, manifest through, itself. Go through. Well, that was uh, she thought that yesterday that there may have been a food poisoning issue, but as Matt Money Smith, I should refer to him as Dr. Matt Money Smith, <laughs> pointed out to her, that would have come on much quicker. Yeah. Like that would have been on the plane home from Mexico City that, that things started rumbling. Oh, but, that's uh, a good thing. You do not want to get food poisoning on a plane. Mm. Mm-mm. So anyway, she'll be fine. Uh, I have I have heard from her. She is alive. And uh, we'll keep an eye on the condition and see how things go. Uh, a bunch to get to today at the bottom of this hour is when we'll talk about the Democratic debate from last night. Really, it's there was nothing new out of this debate in Georgia. Absolutely nothing new. Uh, I did feel like there was less talk of all of the free stuff that Democrats want to give you and more targeted attacks on Pete Buttigieg because, as we've seen, he seems to be trending higher in Iowa than some of the other candidates. So. We're still dealing with, unfortunately, 10 candidates, people trying to squeeze in their thoughts. Yes, there were 10 candidates on stage, despite the fact that you probably didn't hear anything from Andrew Yang or Tom Steyer. Um, and, and Amy Klobuchar shaking has unnerved some people. We'll talk about that uh, coming up at the bottom of the hour. The president is insisting that the Navy will not be taking away a SEAL designation for Chief Petty Officer Edward Gallagher. Gallagher had uh, accused the Navy of trying to remove that designation in retaliation for the president's decision last week to restore Gallagher's rank. He was uh, acquitted of a murder charge in the stabbing death of an ISIS captive, but a military jury actually convicted him of posing with the corpse while in Iraq in 2017. So that's uh, something to keep an eye on. Swamp Watch at 1230s when we'll go through all of this. Tech Talk with Mark Saltzman coming up at 1.20. Uh, Strange Science is all around the corner as well in the 1 o'clock hour. But let's start with where we're, uh, what we're dealing with tonight. Uh, today, I should say. Today in the impeachment inquiry hearings, and in a few minutes we'll dip into it because 
the lawyer on behalf of Republicans on the Intelligence Committee is questioning the witnesses right now. And we're dealing with a couple of different people. Um, first of all, Fiona Hill. I think it's Dr. Fiona Hill, as a matter of fact, a former White House Russia analyst. She, in her opening statement today, said very clearly to Democrats on the committee, Democrats in Congress, and the president himself, to stop pushing what she referred to as a fictional Ukraine interference narrative, that Ukraine was the country that was responsible for interfering with the 2016 elections. Stop saying that. First of all, I think what her implication was, you don't have to say that in order to try to defend the president's actions when it comes to Ukraine. You don't have to suggest that Ukraine was behind meddling in the 2016 election while saying the president did nothing wrong in suggesting that the uh, Ukrainians investigate corruption specifically by the Bidens. Now, the other one that's uh, speaking today is David Holmes. David Holmes is a State Department official. And you may have remembered uh, from last week, there was a reference to a phone call between President Trump and Gordon Sundland. And that a staff member heard the president's voice through that phone. A couple of funny things about this. Um, First of all, he, David Holmes, is that staff member who was at dinner with Ambassador Gordon Sundland, the guy who testified yesterday. He was the one who said that he heard President Trump's voice on that phone in that restaurant in Kiev, which, listen, should not have happened. There's got to be some some amount of security when it comes to the president talking to an ambassador like that. But, hey, you're around other diplomats. You're around other State Department workers, so on. David Holmes was testifying today about what it means for the president when it comes to Ukraine. Was he interested in actually getting Ukrainians to investigate corruption? Or was there something else about it? David Holmes talked about his conversation with Gordon Sondland. And autoplay. In particular, I asked Ambassador Sondland if it was true that the president did not give a expletive about Ukraine. Ambassador Sondland agreed that the president did not give an expletive about Ukraine. Expletive, expletive. This is the uh, the second part of that same quote. Ambassador Sondland stated that the president only cares about big stuff. I noted there was big stuff going on in, in Ukraine, like a war with Russia. And Ambassador Sondland replied that he meant big stuff that benefits the president, like the Biden investigation that Mr. Giuliani was pushing. Some Republicans had pushed back on the idea that David Holmes would have been able to actually hear the president's voice on that cell phone call, unless it was on speakerphone, which would have been wildly inappropriate for an ambassador to put the president of the United States on speakerphone in a restaurant in Kiev. Anyway, CNN this morning, listen, uh, you love CNN, hate CNN, like Andrew Cuomo, hate Andrew Cuomo, whatever. This was idiotic what Andrew Cuomo did this morning. He was trying to prove a point and suggest that everybody can hear what the president is saying on a phone call like this. So what does he do? He pulls out his cell phone. And who does he call? His own mother. This is during a break in the impeachment inquiry hearings. 
So they've got to fill some time there on the CNN set. And he's sitting next to Dana Bash trying to prove the point that everybody can hear what's going on on that phone call. Let's just play with that for a second. Mom, can you hear me? <laughs> By the way, unedited, all these bosses are All right, are so if I were hold, holding the phone here, I'm with Dana Bash. You know how you're always telling we me to let her here. talk because she's so smart and I shouldn't say so much? Can you just say hello? Mom, she probably can't hear me. Mom, can you hear me? Yes, I hear you. When you talk to me, I hear you. I'm talking to you. Say hello to Dana Bash. Hi, Mrs. Cuomo. She doesn't say anything. (laughs) Andrew Cuomo had to eventually drop the whole, I'm going to impromptu prove a point here on the set. What did I say? I can't tell them apart. His name's Chris. Sorry, Nick. I mean, Blake. Damn it. Come back. We'll talk more about this and actually listen in. Uh, Again, Dr. Fiona Hill testifying right now in front of the impeachment inquiry hearing in the Intelligence Committee. Amy King. I'm horrible with names. That was on purpose, Monica. Do not get mad at me. You don't get a chance to get mad at me. I'm going to let you sit and think about what you've done. What I did was I just expanded the joke outside of my own idiocy to include everybody, so uh, turn sky off his hugs. mic, Blake. Sky hugs. Okay. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM six forty live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Here's an unusual win for President Trump from California. The president will not have to release his tax returns to get on the primary ballot here next year. The unanimous ruling from the state Supreme Court today that invalidated this new state law, Senate Bill 27. The governor signed that bill into law back in July to try to compel presidential and uh, gubernatorial candidates to release five years of their tax returns to get onto the primary ballot. Uh, when he signed that into law, the California Republican Party then sued the state. And uh, according to Jessica Patterson, chairwoman, she says, we're pleased that the court saw through the Democrats' petty partisan maneuvers and saw this law for what it is, an unconstitutional attempt to suppress Republican voter turnout. Democrats must stop wasting time and taxpayer dollars on political tricks. Uh, point well taken, by the way. Uh, we're talking about the impeachment inquiry going on in the Intelligence Committee. Dr. Fiona Hill is testifying. Former um, former aide to National Security Advisor John Bolton, she uh, repeatedly in her opening statement stressed how nonpartisan she is, says she's worked under Republican and Democratic presidents. And when asked about the phone call in question, by the way, a couple of interesting things about it, but this was her response to the phone, the finger quotes phone call. I'm really just focused on this one call that has been declassified and published and just asking you whether you'd ever heard any presidential phone call along those these lines? Well, again, I'd like to just re- um, focus in this testimony on this particular call, and I will just say that I found this particular call subject matter and the way that it was conducted surprising. Why was that? Because um, of uh, the nature of uh, the discussion, the juxtaposition of the issues in which they were raised. Okay, uh, a couple of things, and I'm not saying this one way or the other in terms of whether this is implicative of... Uh, or or indicates that the president broke any sort of law or that it exonerates him. But remember, a lot of the people who are testifying in front of this committee are talking about their feelings. 
And they're talking about how uncomfortable the phone call made them, uh, made them long-time uh, diplomatic State Department foreign policy workers who say they were uncomfortable with the way President Trump handled the phone call with President Zelensky back on July 25th. And that that for one to me, that's a red flag. It's a red flag that the president doesn't always know what he's doing. We know that this he kind of goes in flying by the seat of his pants, uh, perhaps has conversations that he then has to backtrack on. That's been his policy. It's been the way he has worked in the past. But for Democrats to suggest that that alone is enough to to call for an impeachment, it to me seems like a stretch. Now, there's more that's going on. Let's let's listen in just for a couple of minutes here, Blake. This is um, Steve Castor, who is the legal counsel for the Republicans on the committee, talking with Dr. Fiona Hill. The, the meeting with President Orban was was not scheduled until um, Later in the afternoon, according to your schedule, it was um, right around 1.45. Is that consistent with your recollection? Well, about the lunchtime time frame, yeah. yeah. Okay. Depending on when one has lunch, I guess. Okay. Um, uh, but overall, given the four days' notice, um, given Secretary Perry's involvement, do you think the delegation was uh, a good-sized group? I do. And let me also um, make a point that we don't try to make these delegations large. This is on the taxpayer's dime. And it's pretty expensive getting people there if you have to get military air. And, um, you know, we, we try to keep them small. If we had a longer lead time, you know, perhaps we would have made other arrangements. But, you know, four days is not a lot of time to make an arrangement. And Secretary Perry had become interested in some of the energy-related issues in the Ukraine? I right? actually recommended that Secretary Perry uh, be the lead, along with others. And what can you tell us about his involvement in, in some of the Ukrainian uh, policy? Well, Secretary Perry's um, engagement um, in this made, again, perfect sense, um, given his role as uh, Secretary of Energy, also his deep knowledge of the energy industry, his um, former governorship. Um, you know, Secretary Perry himself um, is an extraordinarily good advocate of uh, U.S. interests, particularly in the energy sphere. And one of Ukraine's Achilles heel, in addition to um, its military disadvantage uh, with uh, Russia, is in fact energy. Ukraine um, remains for now the main transit point for uh, Russian oil and gas and pipelines um, uh, to Europe. And this has been manipulated repeatedly, especially since 2006, um, by the, the Russian government. And in fact, I mean, many of you here will remember in the Reagan era, uh, there was a, a huge dispute between the United States and Europe about, the, um, about whether it made sense uh, for Europe uh, to build pipelines uh, from the then Soviet Union uh, to bring uh, gas uh, to European markets. That's, uh, that's Dr. Fiona Hill, former National Security Counselor, Senior Director for Europe and Russia. And you do detect a bit of an accent there. Uh, she became a citizen 17 years ago. She said she was the daughter of a coal miner in northeast England, noting that that was the same region that uh, produced our very first president, George Washington. So we'll continue to watch this. These two witnesses, again, David Holmes and Dr. Hill, they're testifying before the House Intelligence Inquiry, uh, the House Inquiry in the Intelligence Committee. All of that stuff, they're going to have a bunch more coming up. Republicans are just getting their opportunities. I think they have about 20 minutes left in their general questioning. We will see individual members then get five minutes as well. So we'll keep an eye on that and bring you some of the highlights at uh, 1230 when we jump into Swamp Watch. Coming back, just a quick recap last night's debate, the Democratic debate. Yes, there was one while everybody else was watching more important television or anything, anything other than the debate. Gary and Shannon will continue in a moment. Yeah, he's out of day. 
AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Our social media, at Gary and Shannon. You can find stuff on there, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, etc. In fact, we're going to push out the link to the iHeart Impeachment channel. So if you have trouble sleeping, just dial up that iHeartRadio app. You type in impeachment, and there's live coverage of what's going on in the House Intelligence Committee, the impeachment inquiry. Dr. Fiona Hill and David Holmes testifying today before the Intelligence Committee. Talk more about it at uh, 1230. There was a uh, report of a training accident at an Air Force base in uh, Oklahoma, as a matter of fact. Uh, Vance Air Force Base. Two airmen are believed to have been killed. Uh, this Air Force Base, we in the central part of Oklahoma, mostly training uh, T-1A Jayhawks, T-38 Talons, uh, T-6s, a bunch of these different kinds of airplanes where uh, guys will go there. Uh, sorry, airmen will go there and air, airmen and women, airwomen, men, never mind. Big win for the president when it comes to uh, state Supreme Court here in California. The court ruled today that it would be illegal for the state to compel presidential candidates to release five years of tax returns to get onto the primary ballot. After the governor signed this bill into law back in July, the Republican Party sued and absolutely won. Unanimous decision, as a matter of fact, today. Well, last night down in Georgia, the uh, 10 of the, what is it, 47 Democratic presidential candidates got onto the debate stage. And outside of, you know, the usual things about let's go down the line or who thinks the president should be impeached and who thinks Donald Trump's a bad guy, all that sort of stuff. They went through and started talking about their pieces of legislation that they think should be uh, implemented once they become president. And down right down, you know, the middle of the stage is Joe Biden still Elizabeth Warren on one side, Bernie Sanders on the other So you got that guy kind of in the middle, and I guess you could say he's a moderate, at least among those 10 people on the stage. Bernie Sanders and and, um, and Elizabeth Warren on either side, more socialist than anything when it comes to their policies. And just outside of those top three, there's cute little Mayor Pete standing there, knowing that he's polling well in Iowa and New Hampshire now, he became something of a target for some of these people. Tulsi Gabbard went after him. Kamala Harris went after him, saying that he wouldn't be able to appeal to black voters, specifically black female voters, et cetera. But there was an interesting piece of this debate. Joe Biden, let me just, I'll go through some of the people real quickly. My impressions from last night. Joe Biden is acting every inch of his age. The very first time, probably 10 minutes into the debate, the very first time they went to the vice president, He could not put a sentence together. It looked bad. It looked like elder abuse. I mean, this guy standing up there answering questions where he was stumbling over the details of some of his own legislation. He talked about having the experience and at one point said he has passed more bills in Congress than everyone else on that stage combined. That's a good point. But it's also because you've been there for 50 years. I mean, there's a reason why you're 76 years old and acting every ounce of his age. Bernie Sanders is even older, but didn't didn't fumble the way the vice president did. Elizabeth Warren, 
known quantity. Bernie Sanders, same thing. Pete Buttigieg held his own. Um, he was attacked for, among other things, not having a whole lot of experience. I mean, he's the mayor of a town that's got 100,000 people in it. But he was saying, listen, we need, good line here, we need to make sure that politics in Washington looks a lot like the low level, and I mean low only just that it's closer to the people, low level political work done by municipalities in this country before these city and county governments start to look too much like what's going on in Washington, D.C. Interesting piece, though, was when Kamala Harris went after Tulsi Gabbard at one point. There were questions about foreign policy, and it was an idea of whether or not Tulsi Gabbard had party loyalty. She said, Tulsi Gabbard did, Congresswoman from Hawaii, she was talking about how the Democratic Party had been captured by the military-industrial complex and other corporate interests because somebody asked her, why did you say that Hillary Clinton uh, exemplifies the rot within the Democratic Party? So they kind of surprised, the moderators kind of surprised Kamala Harris and say, would you like to make a comment there? And she said, oh, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to talk about Kamala Harris and whether or not the Democratic Party is beholden to these outside interests. It's unfortunate that we have someone on the stage who is attempting to be the Democratic nominee for president of the United States, who during the Obama administration spent four years full time on Fox News criticizing President Obama. When Donald Trump was elected, not even sworn in buddied up to Steve Bannon to get a meeting with Donald Trump in the Trump Tower. Okay. One of the weirdest and most damaging things that has been happening in politics today is people are so concerned about party over people. Uphold the status quo, right? Make sure that you are beholden to the your party, whatever it is, you're beholden to your party more so than you are improvement of the country as a whole. And Kamala Harris just totally exemplified that. Absolutely stuck her foot in that last night. Tulsi Gabbard, listen, you, she may be your candidate, maybe not. Maybe you like the fact that she's relatively moderate. You like the fact that she served in the military. You like the fact that she posts workout videos on her official campaign account. Nick. But she's willing to talk to people. Even even Pete Buttigieg tried to get her at one point when he was saying, I would never have sat down with this murderous dictator, dictator Bashar al-Assad. And she said, listen, I'm going to model my foreign policy after some of the greats. Oh, I don't know. Kennedy meeting Khrushchev. Oh, I don't know. Roosevelt meeting Stalin. And Buttigieg, since, uh, standing next to her, says... Oh, what about uh, Trump meeting Kim? Well, yeah. I mean, that's kind of in there as well, isn't it? She didn't say that. Tulsi Gabbard kind of rolled her eyes at that whole thing. But the the weird takeaway from the whole night, Amy Klobuchar is a shaker. I don't know if she was nervous. I would be. But she was shaking a lot. In that debate last night, when she would be giving interviews, when she would be waiting her turn to speak, you did. I'll just say that you didn't miss anything. You did not miss anything in the fifth Democratic presidential debate. Maybe a question whether Kamala Harris ditches this campaign before the Iowa caucuses, but 
We've still got 80 days, is it? 80 days, something like that, before Iowa votes in the caucuses coming up on February 3rd. All right, we come back. Prince Andrew continues continues to step in a giant pile of excrement. It just can't seem to get his feet out of the way of the giant elephant-sized dung in front of him. <laughs> we'll talk about Prince Andrew when we come back. KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Coming up at the top of next hour, just a few minutes from now, the latest on the uh, Saugus High School shooting. Officials say they uh, have an idea of where the weapon came from. We'll talk about that and how it actually only adds a little bit of mystery to what happened at Saugus High School a week ago today. Also in uh, Swamp Watch... Another quick recap of what's going on with that Democratic debate. The president paying very close attention to what's going on in the impeachment inquiry hearing in front of the Intelligence Committee today. A couple of officials, a former aide to Ambassador John Bolton, Dr. Fiona Hill is on the stand, uh, is on the witness table, I guess you could say, as is a guy named David Holmes, also worked in the State Department and works in the State Department. So he's the one who allegedly heard the phone conversation between Gordon Sunland and President Trump. Uh, and we'll talk about the details of that when we get into Swamp Watch. Well, we talk, at the beginning of this week, we talked about the uh, incredible, incredible interview that Prince Andrew did with BBC regarding his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein and the allegations that he also took advantage of teenage girls either at the behest of or um, the manipulation of Jeffrey Epstein, the the kids having been manipulated by this guy and brought to be victimized by Prince Andrew. Do I regret the fact that, that, that he has quite obviously conducted himself in a manner unbecoming? Yes. Unbecoming? He was a sex offender? Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm being polite. I mean, in the sense that he was a sex offender. Great point today. Talking to Brian Suits about this. When you say something like that, when you when you pay a compliment by not absolutely saying this guy was an a-hole, you say his conduct was rather unbecoming. He was a sex offender. And you and you just go, I'm sorry, I'm just being too formal. It's just, it's just my fault. I don't like to say bad things about people. You're an a-hole. And you got to wear that. That's like you at the job interview and they say, Hey Monica, what's your what's your worst quality? And you I'm go, I'm just too perfect. I work too hard. Yeah. I love work so much. That's my worst quality. I'm a perfectionist. That's uh. the best one. <laughs> well, we told you yesterday, Prince Andrew uh, got permission from the Queen Mother, uh, the Queen, to step back, perhaps from his royal duties. However, the Duke of York may have been fired by his own mother. According to the Sun tabloid in England, the Queen summoned the Duke of York to Buckingham Palace to tell him her decision. 
this source says it was a devastating moment for both of them. His reputation is in tatters. It is unlikely he will ever perform royal duties again. He is disgraced. I'm not even sure how the line of succession to the throne works. I don't think he's in line unless something happens to something weird has to happen for him to ever sit on the throne. If that's even a thing now. He has been banned from further duties. The Daily Mail said that he was forced into that announcement yesterday. Prince Charles, his brother, was also at the heart of the decision, apparently acting decisively after watching this escalating scandal with increasing alarm. And by the way, you got to imagine, had he not sat for that interview with Emily Maitland from BBC, this may not be as big today as it is. He totally miscalculated the public response to him sitting down and answering questions. One of the things that was asked of Emily Maitland, by the way, the reporter, was whether or not she talked to him about sitting down for an interview with the FBI. The FBI! I did put to him, I asked him if he'd be willing um, to answer questions under oath, and he said... He'd be willing to do what ed- anyone else should do. He would take, I think his words were very serious, legal advice on it. And it wasn't something he'd avoid if he had to do it. Could you imagine that? Can you imagine Prince Andrew coming to the United States, sitting down? I mean, he wouldn't have to do it here, but sitting down with FBI agents and answering questions about what he knew about Jeffrey Epstein. And what he knew about that island and what he knew about the relationships with underage girls and what, sorry, the raping of underage girls. I shouldn't flower that up like he he would. And the cameras in every room in that mansion in Manhattan and the airplane. Could you imagine if Prince Andrew had to answer those questions? He'd be done. Done. Gone. Update on the uh, Saugus High School shooting when we come back to Gary and Shannon. KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Shannon's a little under the weather. Something, something attacked her. From, uh, well, I think she wishes it was a sneeze. Uh, little travel issue, I think is what they refer to it as. No, I don't know if that's the case either. I'm not a doctor, so I don't know what the symptoms are exactly. I mean, I do know what the symptoms are, but I've, she probably, never mind. Hey, uh, some of the stories we're following, of course, the ongoing impeachment inquiry hearings in the Intelligence Committee. Dr. Fiona Hill and uh, David Holmes, the latest two witnesses to be testifying about different aspects of the relationship with Ukraine and the phone call specifically between Donald Trump and President Zelensky of Ukraine. A couple of Air Force airmen have been killed in a training accident at Vance Air Force Base in Oklahoma. Just about all the uh, the airplanes that they've got there are trainers of some way, uh, shape, or another. 
And the state Supreme Court, our state Supreme Court, has ruled in favor of Donald Trump. Amazingly, as you might think that is, uh, they ruled unanimously that candidates do not have to turn over five years of tax returns to get on the primary ballot. Governor Newsom signed a bill into law that would have done that, and it was immediately challenged by the state's Republican Party. Oh, and I want to throw this in there as well because I saw this headline. The smoking rate among high schoolers took its biggest ever hit, falling to a new low since they've been polling high schoolers. Fewer high schoolers are smoking than ever before. However, it's absolutely outdone by the drop in, um, uh, sorry, by the rise in vaping, in underage vaping. So it may be great news that they're not smoking, but it's bad news that they are now vaping. Great. Uh, was one week ago where at this time we were talking about the uh, Saugus High School shooting. It had happened at about 7.30 last Thursday morning where a gunman came on campus, 16-year-old kid on his birthday, as a matter of fact, taking a handgun out of his backpack and shot and injured or killed five kids before he shot and killed himself, two of whom, you know, the 16-year-old girl, 14-year-old boy who later died at the hospital, and then he himself who died about a day and a half later at the hospital. Three students who were injured are already back out of the hospital and are recovering. School itself won't go back into session until after the Thanksgiving break. December 2nd is the first day they're going back to school. And while we struggle with the, I say we, just the community of the Santa Clarita Valley continues to struggle with the pain of what happened that day, one of the things that tends to salve wounds to some degree is explanations about what happened. And the details may be gruesome, but they are important to put the pieces together. My daughter even expressed to me one of the frustrations that she has as a high school student, knowing some of the people who are involved in all of this, that the the frustration is that there's no explanation yet even about why this kid decided to do this. Sheriff has confirmed today that the gun that was used in that shooting at Saugus High School was assembled from parts. Technically a ghost gun. They're trying to figure out who built it. Who built this 1911 45 caliber handgun? A 1911, if, if your grandpa has a handgun that he used in the war, the Great War, the Korean War, Vietnam, chances are it's a 1911. Just in terms of the sheer number of 1911 model handguns that were issued, standard issue for military, for all branches of the military for 60, 70 years, whatever it was, before they changed over. This weapon specifically used a partially built receiver, which means it did not contain a serial number. That's where the term ghost gun comes from. We've seen way too many of these things recently. For example, do you remember just a couple of months ago the shooting right off of the 215 freeway that killed the CHP officer, Andre Moye, and then hurt a couple of the other officers that were responding to the shooting? That was a ghost gun. 
that was a rifle, but it but it was a ghost gun in that it could not be traced. The Santa Monica shooting, the AR-15 back in 2013, that also was a ghost gun. That one was an AR-15-style rifle. This guy built it from a partially manufactured lower receiver that didn't have a serial number and therefore did not have to be registered. You do need to put it together. but And I, I've never put one together, but I know some people who have, and they've said it's super easy. It's not... It is not hard to put together a weapon like this. You can get these kits in gun shows. You could get them by mail. You do have to do a little bit of work sometimes. The frame, which has the trigger housing, might have some tabs on it that need to be shaved off or even a couple of holes that need to be drilled in it before it can accept the barrel and then the action and then be a working pistol or working rifle, depending on which one you're building. The frame is known, the frame that in that holds the trigger, basically, the trigger housing, that's known as the 80% receiver. It, be, it comes to you almost complete, almost done. That's what I'm talking about. You have to shave some of the tabs and maybe drill some holes. It's a finished gun with no serial numbers and therefore no background check, no waiting period. You just put it together. This is... In the context, though, of the Saugus High School shooting, who built that weapon? Was it the kid who did the shooting? It's possible. I think that's unlikely, but it's possible. Was it the dad? Remember, the dad had passed away a couple of years ago, but owned an arsenal of weapons, according to the sheriff's department. And when they searched his home last week, literally within hours of the shooting, they found all kinds of guns. Many of them were unregistered. So it could have been dad. Or was there somebody else? There are other people who have said that they hung out with this kid a lot. There are other people who uh, have said that this kid was not standing out to them in that he wasn't scary. He didn't talk about weapons a whole lot. He wasn't somebody that they would be concerned about doing something like this, perpetrating violence like this. So now they got to try to figure out if they can, who put that gun together. When we come back, the idea of free speech being infringed at UC Berkeley should be anathema, but unfortunately, it's happened once again, somebody trying to stamp out free speech at the school that is often considered the absolute cradle of free speech. Or I should say, was considered the cradle of free speech. Gary and Channel will continue in a moment. AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. We have a lot to get to in Swamp Watch today, and we'll definitely bring you the latest on the 
impeachment inquiry hearings going on in the Intelligence Committee. A couple of witnesses up there today, including David Holmes. He's the guy who says he heard the president while the president was on the phone with Ambassador Gordon Sondland at a restaurant in Kiev. Talk about that. Dr. Fiona Hill is the other witness that's up there. Um, also in the 12 o'clock hour, you may have seen the the previews, the trailer for this Richard Jewell movie. There's a whole history about not just the Richard Jewell part, but the movie itself about why it was going to be made. Remember, Richard Jewell was the guy who was accused of the Olympic Park bombing. And uh, everybody basically ran this guy through the mud, and it turns out he didn't do it. That trailer is amazing. Just it's the trailer itself. Really well done. Uh, the actor who plays Richard Jewell, I love him, even though he's usually used as a as a comedic sort of character actor. But anyway, we'll talk about that in the 12 o'clock hour. Here we go. Uh, you do not have to like Ann Coulter to be pissed off at this story. Last night, Ann Coulter, political commentator, goes to speak at Wheeler Hall on the UC Berkey, uh, Berkeley campus, right? Now, she's conservative. And that apparently pisses people off or scares them or frightens them or makes them feel like their safe space is being invaded or whatever BS somebody at Berkeley is going to tell you about why it is that they want to put a mask on and protest her speech. About 9.30 last night, she is escorted into Wheeler Hall by police. She starts speaking. And almost immediately... Some a-hole gets up and starts shouting her down, or tries to, I should say. Police are there right away. They handcuff the protester and remove them. She gives a pretty quick speech and then opens the floor for questions and answers. The whole thing, beginning to end, at least Ann Coulter's part of it, about an hour. After the event was over, she had to be escorted out a side door by police. There were still hundreds of people protesting outside the event as they left. According to a news conference that took place shortly after the event was over, the University of California Berkeley Police Department said that they had arrested six or seven people. Um, Most of them were going to be cited and released. The one person who was going to be taken in was the, I believe it was the original protester who got up, had to be handcuffed because they were fighting with the officers who went to take them out. Several individuals were detained throughout the evening, again, somewhere between six and seven, according to the UC Berkeley campus police department. Let me also tell you that we have become so soft and we're now capitulating to these idiots on college campuses that the University of California Berkeley Police Department chief apologized to the students. Not for the arrest. Not for having Ann Coulter there speaking. The chief of the university police department apologized to the students who were concerned about the heavy police presence and the riot gear that they were wearing around Wheeler Hall. I'm going to repeat that again. She didn't apologize for the arrests. She didn't apologize for violence. She didn't apologize for anything that Ann Coulter said. She didn't apologize for being part of the power structure that keeps the people down. Whatever. She apologized to students 
who were upset about the heavy presence of police in riot gear. She apologized to them because of their feelings. We are getting to a point. By the way, if your kid is going to UC Berkeley and you call them today and you're like, hey, Bobby, hey, Susie, how was school last night? And you and they tell you, I did the coolest thing, mom. I stood up for freedom by protesting someone who was there to talk about things. And man, I was so scared by those riot geared police officers that I don't know if I can continue. And then the chief apologized to me. We're all good. I have a chem class in 15 minutes. You're paying for that? As my daughter goes through and figures out which schools she wants to go to, even she is aware of the politics of this and how untenable and uncomfortable that would make her. Not the police in the riot gear who are trying to prevent hundreds of students from blocking someone's freedom of speech. She'd be uncomfortable with the hundreds of people blocking someone's freedom of speech. Way to go, Berkeley. We're losing it. We're losing you. It's about over. Uh, If you are too busy to take your children to where they need to go, one of two things is happening, and maybe even both of them. You are too busy, or your kids are overscheduled. We'll talk about this new trend of kids chauffeurs cottage industry gary and shannon will continue in a moment gary and shannon kfi am 640 live everywhere on the iheart radio app Following what's going on in Washington, D.C., the House Intelligence Committee is questioning a a State Department official and a former National Security Council official in the public hearings today in the impeachment inquiry. Talk about it coming up at uh, 1230. These are, I think, the 9th and 10th or 10th and 11th witnesses to go before the committee. Uh, One of them, in fact, uh, David Holmes, is a State Department official at the embassy in Ukraine. And he's been testifying today specifically about a conversation that took place between Gordon Sondland, the ambassador to the European Union, and President Trump while they were all at a restaurant in Kiev. Uh, Bill Taylor last week had testified that one of his staff members overheard this conversation. Well, David Holmes is the one who overheard that conversation and said that he could at times hear the president's voice through Gordon Sondland's cell phone. And, you know, people speak too loud and you can kind of hear what's going on. President Trump took to Twitter to say he's never heard somebody through someone else's cell phone when it's not on speakerphone. So anyway, more on that coming up at uh, at the bottom of next hour. An update on that Richard Jewell movie that's coming out. We'll talk about that whole story and not not just the Richard Jewell story, but the story of the movie and how it's going to get made. Mark Saltzman is going to join us at 120. We're going to talk about some tech uh, tech stuff, including apps that you're going to want to going to want now for Black Friday, a week from tomorrow. Can you believe that's already? Ride-hailing companies 
are tapping into our overscheduled lives to make money. The Associated Press put together a story about how parents feel like chauffeurs at time times. Deb Fink, for example. She heard about a company that would drive her nine-year-old son to his after-school program, and she did not like the idea of putting him in a car with a stranger, of course. And this is where I find the... Uh, the assumptions about life like this to be completely false. She says, I'm sorry, the story says, faced with the unrelenting pressure of driving him where he needed to go in the middle of her workday, she decided to give it a try, putting her kid in a car with a stranger. Now she says she is sold. A couple of different ride-hailing companies are called Hop, Skip, Drive. One of them is called Kango. One of them is called Zoom. Now, these are allegedly, primarily, led by working moms because they would be able to assuage the, I don't know, fear slash guilt of putting your kid in a car with a complete stranger. They said that they've driven more than 1.4 million children in 16,000 different schools, primarily here in California. Well, that doesn't surprise me one bit. Sarah Shayer, by the way, is a CEO, co-founder of Kango, says that her company wants to be a solution as soon as parents run up against the challenge of juggling work and family rather than having them wait for their child to turn six or seven or eight. When the, quote, damage is done... And you've had to dial back on your career. You've not been able to enroll them in certain activities you wanted them to get started early on. Or you've had to move closer to where the daycare is or have limited your choices in that way. A couple of things I will say about this. First of all, why are we so afraid to let our kids be bored every once in a while? Just bored. Mom, I'm bored. Dad, there's nothing to do. That's when your brain figures out stupid S to do, whether it's playing with a stick or a paper bag or an old box or reading an, what they call books. What? I don't, I shouldn't, I'm talking crazy now. Ugh. The demand for these ride hailing services for kids has been so high in some places that companies are struggling to provide enough drivers. You know why? I think because part of that is that there's an acknowledgement that that's not a cool thing. Others face hurdles convincing parents that a stranger hired by a ride-hailing company is trustworthy enough to ferry their most precious passengers. Distracted, of course, by the mainstream heavyweights, Uber and Lyft, which have been hit by lawsuits accusing drivers of assaulting passengers. Why would you stick your child in that situation. The companies that cater to kids specifically do more to screen their drivers. They check fingerprints. They require them to have child care or parenting experience, sometimes describing them as nannies on wheels. Drivers are given passwords. Children are given passwords that must match. And parents can track somebody's whereabouts in real time through the app. Which is great until it's not. As a parent, you may not know your child's friend's parents 
or you may not know the bus driver. It's really no different. But with this, you have the tracking capability, and you know they've gone through that vetting process. That does not make me feel more comfortable. And if you don't know your parents, yeah, sorry, if you don't know your kids, friends, parents, that's on you, mom. That's on you, dad. Why don't you reach out there? At least send them a Facebook message because you're an idiot and you can't figure out how to keep your kids off of the electronics. Zoom operates in seven states, drives children age 5 to 18. Hop, skip, and drive serves ages 6 and up. And Kango, which operates here in California, will pick up babies. They pick up babies. They do request but not require that you have a caregiver accompany the children under two years old. You're insane. You're insane. If you're allowing, you're insane. Do you think this is the new drop a baby off at a fire station deal? Just have a kid and then be like. Uber. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas what's the destination? Anywhere. Anywhere but here. (laughs) Yeah. Anywhere but here is fine. This also may be a punishment. Just take, you know what? I don't care where you go, but don't bring them back for an hour. You know, like mom and dad need some furniture moving time or something. If you, you got that? Yeah. If you are seriously interested in or have used Hop, Skip, Drive, Kango, or Zoom, or any one of these ride-hailing services for your child, you need to question, am I overscheduled that I can't do this for my kid? Or is my kid overscheduled that they can't just sit at home for a while, wait till I get there? Or is my kid so physically uncoordinated that they can't ride a bicycle to where they need to go? Or should I have had kids in the first place? It's a valid question. In my mind, it is. Well, a dude is suing uh, Palo Alto police and uh, a single guy, a single gay guy. And now everyone in that department has to go undergo LGBTQ training. You ever been subject to that? You ever had somebody at work mouth off at something and then... Everybody in the company has to go through training. Yeah. I think everybody's been there. Gary and Shannon will continue in a moment. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Conversations in the hallways at work today, boy. I tell you what, everybody's excited about that Democratic debate last night. No, not really. Nobody was. Uh, Pete Buttigieg did get some of the heat from the the outskirts of the stage. You want to call it that. Some other candidates were questioning his experience, whether or not he would appeal to uh, minority voters. You know something? The uh, Democratic National Committee last night during the debate, during the debate, reported 
their latest financial statement, the Democratic National Committee has less than $8.7 million cash on hand and over $7 million in debt as of last night, as of that report. Not good financial condition for the for the Democratic Party. About uh, eight months ago, a guy named Gustavo Alvarez sued the city of Palo Alto and its police department. Uh, filed against the city back in April against the department, six of the employees claimed that in February of last year, officers kicked down his front door, dragged him out of the house, slammed his head against a car windshield, and arrested him for driving with a suspended license without probable cause because he was gay. That's not the charge. I'm trying to read that without combining it together. They say, He says they arrested him for driving with a suspended license. He says they didn't have probable cause. And he says the arrest was because he was gay. In addition to excessive force, it alleges that the officers knew that he was gay from previous run-ins, that they mocked him, that they made fun of and humiliated him because of his sexual orientation, and were motivated by their hatred and prejudice of homosexual males. This is Palo Alto. This is not Omaha. The city rejected a public records request from early May from the uh, Mercury News Organization to try to obtain a body cam a video of the incident. There was also, I guess, dash cam footage of the incident, citing a provision in the law that protects an individual's right to privacy. In July, Gustavo's own attorneys released footage from a surveillance video outside of his home, an audio that had been recorded. They not only showed the officers breaking down his door and slamming him against a police car, but using it as a teaching lesson as well. Sergeant Benitez on tape says, see how well they behave when we put our foot down. And and that's what we don't do enough of. During a conversation with a tow truck driver called to take Gustavo's car The same audio recording picked up the sergeant recounting the events that happened, telling the driver that Alvarez is gay and raising his voice to mimic Alvarez's voice. Oh, boy. Uh, Most of the officers who were involved in Gustavo's arrest are still employed by the department, but at least one has left. That former sergeant was placed on administrative leave earlier this year and then retired at the end of September. He's still earning a pension, about ten thousand a month. That's pretty nice. An annual retirement package of about one eighteen a year. Um, the police department says they're still doing their own investigation of the incident, so the city declined any comment on this. But here's part of what they're going to do. First of all, they're going to pay Gustavo Alvarez five hundred and seventy-two thousand dollars. And the other thing is, they're going to send. One officer to an LGBTQ awareness law enforcement course at a criminal justice training center at Napa Valley College. And then that officer comes back to the city of Palo Alto Police Department and runs a two-hour LGBTQ awareness training program for all sworn members of the department. The design is to teach officers about the difference between sexual orientation and gender identity. Do you remember? Do you remember the difference between between 
sexual orientation and gender identity? Because gender identity is how you in your head, how you in your head define your gender based on how much you align or don't align with what you understand to be the options for gender. And then sexual orientation is totally different than that. Sexual orientation is who you uh, want to get, who you are attracted to, either romantically or sexually, although those can be separate as well. And the reason I know this is because I am reading directly from the genderbred person picture that keeps me grounded when it comes to things like gender identity and sexual orientation and gender expressions, biological sex, because there are differences. There are differences. Gender identity, again, how you in your head define your gender based on how much you align or don't align with what you understand to be the options for gender. If you're taking notes, here's one for gender expression. The way you present gender through your actions, dress, and demeanor, and how those presentations are interpreted based on gender norms. Wait, we're not done. Biological sex. The physical sex characteristics you're born with and develop, including genitalia, body shape, voice pitch, body hair, hormones, and chromosomes. And then all of that, who you might be sexually attracted to, from nobody to women, females, femininity, or men, males, masculinity. And a subset of that is who you might be romantically attracted to, women, females, femininity, men, males, masculinity, or... No one. See? It's very simple. Just don't be a D to people. We'll do trending when we come back to Gary and Shannon. She said I'm looking like a bad man. AM640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. The bottom of the hour is when we get into Swamp Watch. There's a couple of takeaways from that Democratic presidential debate in Atlanta yesterday. Talking about how uh, California, to be honest, no one here is really excited about any of the candidates running for president. Um, and what's weird to me is even the senator from the state of California, Kamala Harris, isn't polling well in her home state. Talk about that. Talk about the president's reaction to some of the testimony today in the impeachment inquiry hearings. At the top of next hour, Ryan Burrow is going to join us. We're going to talk about some of the dangerous toys. Before you sit down and start doing some of your holiday shopping, we'll talk about dangerous toys in a few minutes. But what else is going on? Time for What's Happening. Speaking of the impeachment inquiry hearings in front of the Intelligence Committee, the president's former Russia advisor, Fiona Hill, said in her opening statement today, stop saying that Russia didn't get involved in the 2016 election. Stop saying it was Ukraine. All of the intelligence agencies say that Russia did 
systematically attack our democratic institutions in 2016. Fiona Hill, Dr. Fiona Hill, then went on to say, if you continue to do that, then you are not ready for them to try again attacking our 2020 elections. And she says, we are running out of time to stop them. This uh, is sort of on the heels of some Republicans who have floated the idea that maybe, in fact, it was Ukraine who hacked into the 2020, uh, sorry, 2016 elections. And Devin Nunes, for example, said that Republicans have already compiled an extensive report on what was Russian meddling in 2016, but does say, you know, Ukraine could have also done it. And she didn't, but could have just rolled her eyes at that statement and said, OK, fine, you're the expert on Russia then, I guess. The other person who is uh, testifying today is David Holmes, a State Department official at the U.S. Embassy in Ukraine, testifying that he heard President Trump on the phone with Gordon Sondland when he was at dinner with Ambassador Sondland and uh, talked about the what exactly was being asked of Ukraine if, in fact, it was in exchange for the money, the military money that we had promised the country. So we'll talk about that more, a little bit more, coming up at the uh, bottom of the hour. News out of Israel today. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has been indicted for bribery, fraud, and breach of trust. This is after a very lengthy investigation into his alleged dealings in three different cases. He will be the first Israeli prime minister ever to be criminally charged while in office. Now, he is not required to step down, at least not by Israeli law, but everybody assumes that he would because of the incredible pressure that he's under or will be under to step down. The bribery charge itself could carry a sentence of up to 10 years. A charge of fraud and breach of trust could lead to three-year sentence. Uh, One of these cases, by the way, he is said to have received lavish gifts from a couple of wealthy friends, one a Hollywood mogul, Arnon Milchan, and Australian billionaire James Packer in exchange for promoting those people's business interests and, in fact, getting... Uh, obtaining visas, I guess. A military story out of the middle of the country that's trending right now is this training accident, it appears, at Vance Air Force Base in Oklahoma. Two T-38 Talons, usually when a T is before the number, it's a training plane. These two T-38 Talons, each of them carrying two crew members, were being flown in what they said was a routine training mission at Vance Air Force Base in Enid, Oklahoma, when the accident happened this morning. The names of the deceased are being withheld. They do say that there were images of one airplane upside down on grass along the runway and the other upright on the runway. If, in fact, they were carrying two crew members apiece, it looks like the two crew members who were killed were just in one of those planes. Um, that Vance Air Force Base, home to the T-1A Jayhawk, the T-6A Texan, the T-38, um, all of them training uh, hundreds and hundreds of pilots every year. Here's a twist in the latest NFL story, or one of the big NFL stories that came out of this season. Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett is that guy for the Cleveland Browns who ripped Mason Rudolph's helmet off of his head and then turned around and smacked the quarterback with his own helmet. Miles Rudolph uh, was told by the NFL he'll not play a game for the rest of this season. Not the regular season, not if 
God smiles down upon Cleveland and puts them in the playoffs. Not. What did I say? Miles Garrett, Mason Rudolph. Miles Garrett, Mason Rudolph. So, Miles Garrett has decided that he's going to appeal the indefinite suspension. And what he's going to say is that Mason Rudolph, a gentleman of light skin tone, used a racial slur against Miles Garrett, a gentleman who tends to have a darker skin tone than does Miles Garrett. Sorry, than does Mason Rudolph. See, now you screwed me up. Now I'm being too careful. He's trying to have his ban reduced. But Mason Rudolph, the white quarterback, absolutely denies the accusation. Through his team, through his attorney, he said, this is a lie. This false allegation was never asserted by Miles Garrett in the aftermath of the game, never suggested prior to the hearing, and conspicuously absent in the apology published by the Browns and adopted by Miles Garrett. Imagine, I, we, I don't know what was said. I think there was probably only one or two other people who could potentially even be close enough to hear what was going on. One of them would have been the official, right? Then Blake, tell me if I'm wrong. Nick, you can chime in on this as well. That's a penalty. Dropping a racial epithet in an NFL game against another player in that type of a situation would be a personal foul. I would imagine. I would imagine. It would. It would, yeah. I think totally. it's been. Are you just saying things that Blake was saying? No, no, no. Because it sounds like he started talking and then you were just mimicking what was coming out of his mouth. Because if it's. it's... <laughs> That's what I figured. And then finally. Even if it's not, he could get in trouble like they, like i wouldn't be surprised if they ejected someone from a game for something for something like that right at least it wasn't that way 10 years ago but i feel like right, that's the right. way it is now yeah uh okay so here's the other option what if miles garrett is making that up in an attempt to just reduce his uh his pro- that's just that'd be bad and then finally this great video out of newport harbor an umpire at a youth baseball game was being heckled by the parents, by the parents. And he turned around and he told them to knock it off. Otherwise, he was going to call the game. And then somebody made a crack about his height. Then be fair. No, 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 wait a second. Hey. Did you just hear him? Yeah, I heard you. Okay, do you want to have a game here? Chill out. Right, yeah. It's a baseball game. Hey, oh. stay professional for the kids and just do your job. Come on. That's it. Come on. Jesus. You got it. You You hear that? Are you mad because the kids are taller than you? That was it. That was it. He threw up. I think he took a ball out of the little ball pouch that he's got. He threw it behind him. That's it. And he walks out of the dugout and the camera follows him as he goes behind the stands through the gate out to his car. He got in the car. He took his little uh, home plate brush out of his pocket he wiped the tears off of his face with it and then put the mask on and he says, I'm not crying, you're crying. And he drove away. And that was it. Don't be a D to the umpire. That guy's a volunteer. Parent, he, The umpire should have gone to the coaches and said, if you don't shut the parents up, I will call the game. You don't ever turn around and contact the parents like that, unfortunately. Sorry. That's the way it goes. When we come back, that Richard Jewell movie, have you seen the poster for this yet or maybe the trailer? Looks pretty good. Talk about it when we come back. Gary and Shannon will continue. Did I take it all back 
It's Shannon, KFI AM 640 Live, everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Shannon's out today under the weather. Uh, legit bacteria has invaded her gut biome. And we wish that little alien the best. Oh, that smells so good. Yeah, I don't I don't know if that's the case, but we'll just give her the benefit of the doubt. She's uh she's under the weather. She'll be fine. But um she is not here. A reminder the KFI's ninth annual Postathon is coming up on Friday, December sixth. We're gonna be broadcasting live all day from Christ Cathedral of Garden Grove, collecting money and pasta and sauce. For Katarina's Club, Chef Bruno's charity that feeds 25,000 kids every week in Southern California. 100% of the donation will go directly to Katarina's Club. Plus, you're looking for an easy way to do this because you're lazy. That's fine. Uh, Go to any Smart and Final store in California, Nevada, or Arizona. Any Smart and Final store and ask about that $10 KFI Pastathon donation that features Barilla pasta and sauce. Generously donated by our friends, our new friends, at Barilla and Smart and Final products. And they'll add 10 bucks to your bill. But more than that, you'll get a code for a chance to win a 13-day trip for two to Italy, courtesy of Trafalgar, their world's leading guided vacation company. For all the drop-off locations, more information about it and how to donate online, go to pastathon.com. Well, if you have not yet seen the trailers for Richard Jewell, you should go check it out. This is the story of the Olympic Park bombing and how it is that the FBI, the media, everybody pinned it on the security guard who found the bomb. You have 30 minutes. Richard Jewell is an innocent man. He's a hero. There is a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. One more time, just a little louder. I report the facts. You've ruined this man's life. There is a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. It goes on to explain how it is. In this case, it was um, Paul Walker, Paul Walter Hauser, who plays Richard Jewell. And what's interesting is, this is a Clint Eastwood film. I guess originally Leonardo DiCaprio was tasked with was going to direct this and be in the movie. Uh, they fell away. Clint Eastwood took it over and decided to do this. The tagline is the world will know his name and the truth about the 1996 Atlanta Olympics bombing. Uh, here's the thing. When I said I wanted to talk about this today. Those two guys in there were like, who's Richard Jewell? Which I guess, like, what year were you born? I was born in 91. And Nick? 92. Okay. Sorry? No, don't apologize. Well, I... I, Your parents couldn't get it together before then. That's fine. (laughs) I, I had not heard of his story until I saw the trailer, and now I am... Fascinating. Incredibly fascinated, yeah. Okay, so Richard, the story of this is that he was a former cop working security for Olympic Park, and he spotted a pipe bomb underneath a bench and started escorting people out of there. The bomb went off when just about everybody else had left the immediate area, but cops were coming in and checking it out. Two people were killed. A hundred people, more than a hundred people were wounded. But they had zero leads on this thing. He was never arrested. He was never charged. But everybody assumed that he was the guy. Now, there's other aspects of the story, like the reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, who was accused of having sex with an FBI agent to learn the name of their main suspect. And that's Richard Jewell. 
least according to the FBI agent that's played by John Hamm in this movie. He became the suspect of speculation. He became the suspect of ridicule. He moved back in with his mom, played by Kathy Bates, in his mid-30s because he was demoted. He crashed his police car. He sued several news outlets for defamation. I don't remember if he sued Jay Leno or not, but Jay Leno made a, made a joke about him. Instead of calling him the Unabomber, he called him Unidoofus. It's interesting to me because there's so few people who remember the fact that Richard Jewell was not the Olympic Park bomber. He was not even arrested, never charged in that case. They did catch a guy. If you remember Eric Rudolph, Eric Rudolph has been sentenced to life in prison. Um, Actually, I think he was sentenced to death. But it was that Eric Rudolph was known for abortion clinic bombings, not the Olympic Park bombing. He was sentenced to life without parole. Sorry about that. But he was arrested in 2003, seven years after the Olympic Park bombing. Anyway, I'm, this is going to be a fantastic movie. And again, it's a Clint Eastwood movie with Sam Rockwell and Kathy Bates and John Hammond and Olivia Wilde. And Paul Walter Hauser plays Richard Jewell in this. I've all heard right. of Clint Eastwood, if that helps at all. Oh, man. It looks like Richard Jewell sued a bunch of institutions and publications, not specific people. So not Jay Leno. No, but he, but he did. He sued NBC. Oh, he did. Okay. Yes. That's, but now we know why. All right. Uh, we come back. Swamp Watch into some of the impeachment inquiry hearings that are going on and a little bit about that debate. Sorry. Holding my lunch down. Gary and Shannon will continue. AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Shannon out today, a little under the weather. At the top of the hour, Ryan Burrow is going to join us. U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission has some uh, warnings out about dangerous toys. They have a trouble in Toyland report, the 34th annual. We'll talk about that before you begin your holiday shopping, hopefully. A couple things on our uh, social media. On Twitter, we... uh, retweeted the video of that umpire simply walking off the field at that Little League game, Newport Shores. You can see that. And then also the trailer for the uh, Richard Jewell movie that we were just talking about a few minutes ago. What's going on in Washington, D.C.? It's time for Swamp Watch. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Well, a couple of uh, couple of witnesses in our House Intelligence Committee inquiry, impeachment inquiry. David Holmes, State Department worker, works in the U.S. Embassy in Kiev. 
testified today that he overheard a phone call between President Trump and Gordon Sondland, the ambassador to the European Union. And if you remember, this is the July 26th call. July 26th, right after the president or the day after the president had made that phone call and talked with President Zelensky of Ukraine. The one that everybody's been talking about, the real center of this impeachment inquiry, is whether or not there was a quid pro quo surrounding that call. Whether it was expressed explicitly by the president then or if it was just understood to be a quid pro quo. David Holmes testified that he overheard a phone call July 26th between Trump and Sondland and said that he could hear the president asking the ambassador whether or not President Zelensky was going to do the investigations he wanted and be told that he would. Now, Gordon Sondland explained some discrepancies in his testimony. He says he doesn't take notes. The other person who's on the stand today, Dr. Fiona Hill, says she is a meticulous note taker. It was a habit she learned from the first grade because her town was so poor and pupils didn't have textbooks, she said. I want to play for you just, first of all, David Holmes, again, the guy who overheard the phone conversation from July 26th between President Trump and Ambassador Gordon Sondland. Ambassador Sondland stated that the president only cares about big stuff. I noted there was big stuff going on in Ukraine, like a war with Russia. And Ambassador Sondland replied that he meant big stuff that benefits the president, like the Biden investigation that Mr. Giuliani was pushing. Now, they went on uh, discussing this. What this guy brings to the table is, and I'm saying this half tongue in cheek, his overhearing of the phone conversation. Uh, the president tweeted out, how could he possibly hear? I've listened to phone conversations my whole life and never heard the other person on the other line, which that's not here nor there. CNN tried to re- recreate that whole thing, and Chris Cuomo looked like a complete buffoon. But Dr. Fiona Hill discussed a couple of things. She's probably one of the better witnesses, at least for the uh, for the Democrats in this case. She discussed a couple of situations. Number one, when reading through the memo of the July 25th phone call, what she described as her reaction. I'm really just focused on this one call that has been declassified and published and just asking you whether you'd ever heard any presidential phone call along those these lines. Well, again, I'd like to just um, focus in this testimony on this particular call. And I will just say that I found this particular call subject matter and the way that it was conducted Surprising. Why was that? Because um, of uh, the nature of uh, the discussion, the juxtaposition of the issues in which they were raised. One of the interesting things that she did talk about was a July 10th meeting between United States officials and Ukrainian officials at the White House that she witnessed. She was there uh, and was describing in detail. She said Ambassador Gordon Sundland blurted out that he and Mick Mulvaney, the acting chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, had worked out a deal for Ukraine's president to visit the White House. Remember, that was supposedly one of the pieces of the quid pro quo. In exchange for opening the investigations. When you say that, everybody assumes that was the investigation into Hunter Biden and Joe Biden, potentially looking at corruption in Ukraine, dealing with Americans. And that when Gordon Sundland blurted that out in that meeting, that Dr. Hill's boss, then National Security Advisor John Bolton, immediately stiffened, 
ended the meeting, and that precipitated his comment that's been reported several times by these witnesses, that he didn't want to have any part of this drug deal that was going to be going down. Uh, She may be, Dr. Hill that is, the best of the witnesses that we've seen in terms of her knowledge of the situation in, in Ukraine in general, and then knowledge of those major players that are involved in this. I think it was Ken Starr, a former Whitewater prosecutor, who said, listen, this does not rise to the level of impeachment. It's not good. It may be unethical. It's immoral. It looks bad for the United States. It was a ham-handed way of dealing uh, with foreign policy. But that this does not rise to the level of impeachment. And the evidence to this point supports his argument. Anyway, we'll talk more. They're still testifying. If there's anything more, we'll bring it to you. I wanted to tell you a couple of things about the uh, presidential debate in Atlanta, the Democrats debate last night, and also breaking Michael Bloomberg news. Oh, yeah. No. I'm going to tell you after the break. Gary and Shannon will continue with Swamp Watch. AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Next hour, Mark Saltzman joins us for our Thursday Tech Talk. Some of these Black Friday apps you're going to want in your phone now before all of this gets going. Because, by the way, that's a week from tomorrow, Black Friday is. And we've been doing those SolarMax commercials where we talk about how this time flies by. This is just, it's not funny anymore how quickly these times go by. Uh, Also, Why it is that Coldplay says they're not going to tour anymore, or at least not yet. Thank you, guys. I appreciate that. See? Prayers do get answered. We're talking about um, Swamp Watch, what's going on in Washington, D.C. And for those people who want to get to Washington, D.C., big night last night for the Democratic candidates for president because they were debating down in Georgia. And I suppose really one of the big deals was... Kamala Harris going after Tulsi Gabbard at one point. She was asked to describe why it is that Tulsi Gabbard was, why it is she described Hillary Clinton as really being the representative of the rot that exemplifies the Democratic Party these days. And Kamala Harris called her out for being out from under the umbrella of the Democratic Party. It's unfortunate that we have someone on the stage who is attempting to be the Democratic nominee for president of the United States, who during the Obama administration spent four years full time on Fox News criticizing President Obama. When Donald Trump was elected, not even sworn in, buddied up to Steve Bannon to get a meeting with Donald Trump (laughs) in the Trump Tower. Isn't that what's wrong with politics today? I mean, not her talking about uh, Tulsi Gabbard, but this idea that you have to toe the party line or be completely exiled from anything that is your party. Why can't somebody look at somebody like Tulsi Gabbard and say, I don't agree with her. 
I don't agree with her on some things, but you know what? She does stand for the vast majority of what will be the Democratic official platform. And why then Kamala Harris suggests that simply going on Fox News means she's not a Democrat or whatever idiotic things she seems to be implying with that. It was just left such a distasteful. It was distasteful, I think. Bad taste in my mouth, distasteful, whatever it was. Pete Buttigieg got some of his stuff handed to him last night. Uh, the, the What I love is the L.A. Times apparently doesn't like Pete Buttigieg, and I'm not quite sure why. But whoever wrote up the review of the uh, of last night's debate referred to him, referred to what happened to Pete Buttigieg last night as Buttigieg's, it's hard to say, turn in the barrel. Buttigieg's turn in the barrel. He doesn't lack... Sorry, he doesn't back term limits. He comes from a podunk town. He lacks support among African-Americans. Buttigieg, the boy mayor of South Bend, started the campaign as a charming curiosity with his howdy-doody grin, all-access media strategy, and impressive capacity to speak seven languages. You can't – listen, I don't think Pete Buttigieg is the guy who walks away with the nomination in this. I mean, weirder things, I suppose, have – Actually, no, that would be the weirdest thing to have ever happened. But I don't think he walks away with a nomination. But that guy has a huge political future in front of him. As we start to see the needle kind of move away from hating the idea of a gay guy in power, you're going to see somebody like Pete Buttigieg come through and be one of the shining stars for the Democratic Party, I suppose, in the future. But his ideas um, are are so moderate compared to people like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren that when he goes up on that stage, you keep asking yourself, I don't, I don't think he's gay. I'm just kidding. Um, but the, the big thing that I came up with last night was a giant Michael Bloomberg-sized hole in my heart and thought, boy, I can't wait till Michael Bloomberg gets involved in this officially. Well, I've got breaking Bloomberg news. Michael Bloomberg has officially filed paperwork today with the Federal Election Commission to run for president. Now, this is not official still. Michael Bloomberg has not officially thrown his hat into the ring. But what this filing allows him to do is raise money for a run for the White House. An aid to Michael Bloomberg, who, by the way, not a campaign aid, just an aid. Just a random old aid. We've all got AIDS. Everybody's got AIDS. Just a random old aid said no final decision on whether or not he will run has been made. Again, Michael Bloomberg, the moment he gets in the race, becomes the oldest candidate at 77. If he does enter, he will likely forget about those early states. He'll forget about Iowa, New Hampshire, maybe even South Carolina. He has agreed and already registered to appear on the ballot in Alabama, Arkansas, and Texas. And I believe those are Super Tuesday states. A separate advisor, another aide. Remember, everybody's got AIDS. Everybody's AIDS, AIDS, AIDS all over the place, right? Everybody's got AIDS. Separate advisor, today said that Bloomberg has filed to be on the ballot in Georgia and Michigan as well. But at this point, still no official word that he's going to run, but he has filed for paperwork 
has filed the paperwork that will allow him to start raising money. All right, before you sit down and start doing some of that online shopping, the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission has its annual Trouble in Toyland report that identifies some of the most dangerous products still available for sale. Some of them might be the best toys out there. We'll talk with Ryan Burrow about that when we come back to Gary and Shannon. Shannon, KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Shannon's out today, a little under the weather. Adam Schiff is uh, giving the closing arguments, closing statements as uh, we wrap up yet another day of impeachment inquiry hearings in front of the Intelligence Committee. David Holmes, a uh, State Department official at the U.S. Embassy in Ukraine, testified today, as did Dr. Fiona Hill former National Security Council member and an expert on Russia. Found out today also a couple of Air Force airmen were killed in a training accident at Advanced Air Force Base in Oklahoma. Apparently it had to do with two T-38 trainer planes. Uh, Both of those had two people inside. Just based on the scene of the accident and some of the images, it looks like one of those planes flipped over. Uh, somewhere near the runway. We're not quite sure if they collided or exactly what happened. Also found out today the California Supreme Court has ruled unanimously that candidates do not have to turn over five years of tax returns to get onto the primary ballot. That was a uh, a state law that was actually signed into place in July and then immediately challenged by the state Republican Party. Bottom of the hour, we'll get into some strange science stories, including, okay, so we know we, the United States, used chimpanzees in space. Why did the Russians use dogs and we used chimps? I think that's a sciencey story. But it's time for holiday shopping, and boy, if you're not uh, if you're not buying toys for anybody, well, you're just not uh, you're just not American or something. I don't remember how it goes. I don't remember the saying. But there's a new report out, um, a yet another report, I should say, about the trouble in Toyland, troubles in Toyland from the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission. Our toy expert and correspondent from the great city of Chicago, Ryan Burrow, joins us to talk about this. Ryan, what's going on? Good afternoon. Yeah, toys that could kill. That's the headline I wanted, but that's not the one they're going with. So uh. we'll, we'll just go through this anyways. Actually, you know, it's funny because when you read inside these numbers, I mean, the, the Consumer Product Safety Commission says there were 166,000 kids who went to uh, the ER last year due to some kind of toy-related injury, uh, a lot of it having to do with uh, uh, some kind of vehicle, like mechanical vehicle, uh, maybe some accident involving that. Uh, there were also a lot of choking situations. So what uh, this uh, this report, this Trouble in Toyland report does, it kind of breaks out the four biggest issues when it comes to kids. Uh, and these toys, number one being lead, uh, obviously not something that you want uh, with uh, you know a kid's product, but there are still some fidget spinners out there with excessive lead levels, so be cautious about that. Uh, small parts, and one of the things that this uh, survey uh, flags is these travel peg games, you know, uh, where it's like a wood block and you kind of move the little pegs up, and it's really meant for you know to keep the kids occupied while while you're driving so that they don't keep trying to change the station or 
keep asking you, are we there yet? Um, apparently, uh, some of these have products where, you know, anyone under the age of three can swallow them and choke them. So uh, that's one of the concerns. Uh, balloons, another one. A lot of times these balloons are very small. They're not marked properly that they're for people over the age of eight. And as a result, kids get at them. They swallow them before they're blown up, obviously. And then privacy issues also keeps coming up. You know, a lot of these products now have Wi-Fi, Bluetooth enabled, uh, and so there's one product in particular, we may have heard of this, it came out a few years ago called My Friend Kayla. This doll acts like an Alexa where you can ask it questions, it gives you answers, it operates on Bluetooth, but apparently it allows people who are within the range to listen to the conversations your child is having with this doll, and that can be a problem. In fact, Germany has banned this product outright. That's because Germany doesn't want a bunch of scared kids running around saying that their friend <laughs> Kayla is telling them to kill people. Absolutely. I mean, that's quite possible. Uh, okay. It seems like a lot of this stuff would be common sense stuff. Why is it that they feel like they need to get this out there? The Consumer Product Safety Commission needs to do this report every year. You know, because there are a lot of people who are buying gifts for maybe kids who they're not familiar with. Uh, maybe you're getting gifts for charity. Maybe you're getting gifts for grandchildren you haven't seen in a long time. You don't know what to get, so you go out and you run out and get that first, uh, you know, uh, lead-filled fidget spinner that you see because, you know, the kids have been using fidget spinners, which actually may have been very 2017. It may not be very 2019 anymore. But um, So they put this list out there. Uh, we, we know yesterday, too, there was a, a list from uh, the, the group Watch out of Massachusetts which identified things like Nerf guns and uh, other products, the uh, Nickelodeon slime that smells like ice cream, uh, just products that are out on the market now that uh, may, may not be good for kids, especially the young ones if they get a hold of them. So, so you shouldn't just go buy a box of, I don't know, 16-penny nails or something for a kid, even though, uh, that's... even though we know that kids will play with the boxes and the bags much more so than the toys on Christmas Day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and to be honest with you, that what you just said is not on the list. So go for it, you know. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. I mean, think about that. Uh, maybe like a five and a half inch circular saw blade, something like that. Maybe that uh, framing style so the teeth are nice and big. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I say go for it. All right. All right. I'll do so. Ryan, we're thank all going to get hurt on something, right? <laughs> right. It might as well be a toy while you're having fun. Exactly. Exactly. Ryan, thanks, Just Ryan. Go out and get your kid a lunch meat slicer. You got it. Lunch meat slicer. Jeez. Sounds like a knuckle breaker, right? Blake, you've killed yourself on that a couple of times. Yeah, I put my fingers right into it one time. Is that why you only count to eight? It hurts so bad. I bet. When we come back, Mark Saltzman, Tech Talk. We're going to be talking about some of those Black Friday apps that you're going to need to know and some of the technology just down the street at the LA Auto Show. It's coming up next on Gary and Shannon. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. It's Thursday, November 21st, one week away from Thanksgiving. Shannon's a little under the weather. She'll be back. Don't worry. Dealing with the after effects of a gut biome invader, I think is how you say it. Bottom of the hour, we'll talk about some strange science stories. Promised you, the band that says that they're not going to tour until after they can offer environmentally beneficial concerts. What that even means. 
Uh, and also the difference between dogs and chimps in space. Well, Thursdays, we get a chance to talk technology with Mark Saltzman. The machines are getting smarter. This is Tech Talk, brought to you by Skynet. Mark Saltzman, the self-described technological evangelist. Technology evangelist, I think is how you say it in your Twitter bio. Oh, either works. It works. Speaking of chimps, yes. we're going to now tune in with, yeah. Hey, you said it, not me. <laughs> All right. Great to chat with you, Gary. You too. So, uh, well, like I said, you know, we're a week away from, from Thanksgiving. We're a week and a day away from Black Friday. How are we going to get ready for this? Yeah. Use an app to save money. That's how. Whatever you're looking to buy, of course, uh, I'm hoping it's tech just because that, that's my livelihood. But whether you're looking to buy clothing, like apparel, or you want to buy like household items or whatever, you know you can get a good deal over Black Friday and Cyber Monday. But an app can help you sniff out those best deals. So I wrote an article last week for USA Today, shameless plug alert. Of course. On... Uh, on what apps you should download because there are literally hundreds if not thousands of shopping related apps but i I, i've played around with these for for some of them for years and i sort of distilled my favorite couple for black friday so one is a must-have called slick deals and it's also a website it's actually been uh, around since 99 on the web but the app is similar so it's really just a community it's a deal sharing community of people like your listeners who find a good deal and you are compelled to tell somebody about it. So the idea is that it's like a, a bunch of forums and then you can even type in like what you're interested, like, I don't know, like Bose headphones or Samsung TV or whatever. And whenever a deal matches that word, it, it pushes a notification to your phone or your tablet to say, okay. And people vote on it to make sure it's legit and that it's not expired and all. It's very communal and I like that, but there is of course an editorial board. So it just helps find the best online and retail deal deals near you on several, several items. So that's simply called Slick Deals or SlickDeals.net if you want to go to the website directly. And it also has like coupons and promo codes and those uh, weekly ads that uh, you, you get in the mail f- via paper, but you can get it now, uh, you know, on the app or a Chrome browser extension. So that's a really good one. Well, you mentioned that being another a, one, the, yeah. a community-based thing where it's sort of crowdsourcing. When you find a good deal, you post it, everybody votes them up, and you get to see the ones that are going to rise to the top of the that's list it. there. But how, yeah. how do other ones? I know Power to the people. You wrote Flip is another one of these uh, ones. How would something like Flip come up with those same types of deals? Do they just have a yeah. bunch of people pounding away on the keyboards? So in a, they have a partner. So with Flip, which is uh, F-L-I-double-P, they have a partnership with hundreds and hundreds of retailers. And this is more of a retail shopping app. But the way it works is those those weekly ads we were just talking about, the ones that we get in the mail, maybe with a big you know rubber band around it, instead of getting newsprint on your hands, the Flip app has it all for you in one place on your iPhone or your Android phone or tablet. And it, it aggregates all those, uh, not just the, the weekly ads or circulars, but also coupons, and then they cross-reference them. So you can do a search by keyword like Samsung TV, to keep that example, uh, or you can search by store. You can look, uh, again, this is more retail focused, so you can you know type in or, or tap on a, a retail store near you. So whatever you're looking to buy, it can even be groceries, by the way. It doesn't have to be Black Fr- Friday related. It's going to show you the best deals that are around you. And you can virtually clip it into a shopping list by simply tapping on it. You could even, in the shopping list itself, type in a word um, like, uh, I don't know, um, earbuds, wireless earbuds, and 
it'll show you who has the best deals around you. And then you just bring that in and you can have it scanned and your loyalty cards are connected to the coupons and you're going to, you know, you're going to be aware of the best deals, but it's really sort of like a way to aggregate all of your, it's a digitized version of uh, all of those weekly ads, but it's interactive. And then it goes above and beyond that as well. I love the loyalty card thing because you can load up all of your points cards for all your favorite retailers, even if it's shopping like groceries, all in one place. So you don't have to carry all that plastic with you. That's pretty cool. Another good one for online shopping is Rakuten. It used to be called Ebates, but the parent company is Rakuten. Um, and that this is a, a company that gives you money back after you buy things online. So it's one of those like affiliate program thingies where you always start at the Rakuten website or the app. Then you shop where you're going to anyways, like Amazon or Best Buy or Walmart or eBay. And then when you do buy it and that you, you, you actually pay for the item, um, a couple of weeks later, you're going to get a notification from Rakuten saying you've now got X amount of dollars in your account. And once you hit, I think it's five bucks, uh, then you get either a check or it's deposited into your PayPal account. So you're going to shop at these places anyway. It's more than 2,500 stores supported. And, and Rakuten says over Black Friday, instead of getting, you know, 5 or 8% back, you could get up to 40% back. So they share some of that commission, if you will, that the retailers like Amazon share with Rakuten. So it's, it, you're, again, it's not like these little weird kind of places you may not shop. It's, it's going to be the main ones anyways, like eBay or Amazon. So it's a great one. So that's Rakuten. Uh, and I love the fact it, that you threw eBay in there as well as one of these things. It yeah. used to be, you know, you mentioned 20 years ago. 20 years ago, eBay was a thing where you would just buy someone's used, I don't know, baseball cards or right. something. And it was an auction back then. Like you had to bid on it and see if somebody outbid you. Today, you can still do some of that on eBay. And not everything is brand new, but most things are. I think over 80% wow. of things now are brand new and you can just buy it outright. So the reason why I put eBay in there, as well as online marketplaces like Craigslist and, and so on, Facebook Marketplace, is that I wanted to remind the reader that you don't have to always shop at a store. You can always you can also turn to a marketplace or an online classified uh, app and, and buy from somebody else. It could be a, a store, but sometimes just a person who gets, I don't know, you might've got a, a Rolex and you already have a watch. I don't know. I'm just, you know, making it up, but the idea is that you can buy it, it brand new, but you always, you do with eBay, you want to check the, the seller rating. You want to make sure that, um, you do your homework. You know, there's a score associated with that seller and, uh, just consider marketplaces, not just retailers. And you can save a bundle. That's what really what this ar article was all about. How do you save money? Not just over black Friday and cyber Monday, but all year round. We'll make sure that we throw the link up. I wanted to quickly just get to the LA Auto Show, of course, which opens uh, tomorrow, I believe. And I know you put a whole yeah. article together regarding the, the safety features that we're going to see, connectivity, AI in these cars. But I'm most curious about what you thought of the new uh, all-electric Ford model, this model, uh, this yeah. Mach-E, it's called. Yeah, so I took a look at all the tech of the LA Auto Show that is debuting tomorrow at the LA Convention Center. Um, so I did have a section on electric cars, including, yeah, the first new Mustang in 55 years, really. That's an all-electric, it's a full EV uh, model. It's a four-door SUV called the Mach-E, and it does have all the hallmarks of uh, the, the, the famous muscle car, but it uh, can go from zero to 60 in about three and a half seconds. 
with the uh, GT Performance Edition package. It's an optional package, but even the one that doesn't have that is really fast. It's super quiet, very powerful. So yeah, I can go, uh, I think the range is about 300 miles and that's with uh, the available extended range battery and using real wheel drive. Uh, but yeah, there's like um, public stations all across the, the country that you have access to. I think almost 13,000 of them uh, through the Ford Pass charging network. So it's going to be uh, available in the spring of 2021. So you still got to wait for it, but pre-orders are available now. It starts at about 44 grand and up. If you want that enhanced GT edition, it's 60 grand. But yeah, it looks sweet. It looks like the iconic muscle car that you uh, grew up looking at, uh, but or maybe driving. And but now it's all all EV baby. No more gas. Mm-hmm. Not a gas gas guzzler anymore. No, not at all. <laughs> yeah. All right, Mark. And thank then finally, you. Finally, oh. yeah. Let's just end up quickly on the Mirai from Toyota. Oh, yeah. I know we got a wrap. That's but hydrogen, this is also, right? Right. It's an, it's an EV, but it's a hydrogen fuel cell electric vehicle with a 400 mile range. And it's also more powerful and quieter than its predecessor. So, so that's coming as well. Mirai, which means future in Japanese, is going to be available late next year. But uh, that's the Mirai as well. So if you're heading to the auto show tomorrow, check that one out as well. Awesome. Mark, have a great weekend. Thanks, man. You, you too. You bet. Mark Saltzman there, writer for uh, USA Today, and that's where we got a couple of these articles. We'll throw the links up on our social media, at Gary and Shannon. You can also follow Mark on Twitter, for example, Mark with a C, Mark underscore Saltzman, and you can see those articles as well uh, and a bunch of other tech stuff. When we come back, some weird science stories. Weird. Um, I'll call them strange when we come back. Gary and Shannon will continue. But tell me what you've done for me. I got taken a task. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Remember, I was talking about the ride hailing services that are available for kids now. Olivia wrote in, not that one. She wrote in and said, the next time you'd like to pass judgment on parents who are simply trying to do their best by keeping their kids active and don't have the privilege of keeping one parent at home or having a job with non-traditional work hours, I recommend you expand the circle of friends to see how the other half lives. Working single parents already carry an exorbitant amount of guilt. We don't need it from you, Gary. I thought you were one of the nice ones. They obviously don't know you. I don't... Well... Haters gonna hate. Haters gonna hate, I guess. (laughs) I mean, I'm entitled to think that way. Uh, How dare you have an opinion, Gary? Apparently I'm a bad person. (laughs) I'm the bad one. Anyway, uh, so I I apologize that your feelings were hurt. Am I really? Not really, I'm not. It's time for Strange Science. Strange Science. It's alive. It's like weird science, but strange. Oh, I just, I just got that phishing scam. I just got it. There's been a whole series of... They say it's external, but boy, I know it's internal now. I'm on to these guys. I'm trying to get us to click buttons we're not supposed to click on our computers. I'm not that old. Hey, it's time for Strange Science. Um... There's a uh, a thing that happens when when humans go up into space. Even to this day, I mean, we've been in space for sixty plus years, but we still are trying to measure the effects that space travel 
and time in space has on the human body. For example, an astronaut at one point was carrying out an ultrasound on their own body. They're in space. They're, color, they're doing an ultrasound on their own bar, body, part of a new study, guided in real time by a specialist here on Earth. A similar test before the astronaut launches into space comes back normal. Now they wanted to see what was going on in that body in space, and they found a blood clot. Senior scientist at NASA, Karina marshall Goebel says, we were not expecting this. This has never been reported before. At that point, they're saying that the astronaut was not showing any symptoms stemming from the clot. We don't know who it was, by the way, for privacy laws, of course. But the astronaut was still pulled out of the study and treated with blood-thinning drugs for the rest of the time in orbit. And up to this point, no one knew that clotting of the blood was a potential risk when it comes to spaceflight. The study was designed to, to study something else. It was different, well-known side effects of space travel. They started noticing about a decade ago that people who went into space for months on a, at a time would come home with swollen optic nerves, slightly flattened eyeballs, changes in vision. So NASA started putting glasses on board the International Space Station if astronauts were seeing that their eyesight was worsening. They suspect that the cause involves an accumulation of the body's fluids like blood and water. And when you're not under the tug of gravity, these fluids float towards your head. They can actually increase pressure inside the skull because they're not being pulled down to other parts of your body. So to investigate the theory, what they did was they targeted the jugular vein on the left side of the neck, which delivers blood from the head to the heart. And this study's astronaut subjects included nine men and two women. Before they launched, they would measure the blood flow in the jugular, and the readings look normal. They throw them up there on the International Space Station, and they do the same thing. Scans showed that blood flow in the jugular stalled in five of the 11 astronauts. The doctor says sometimes it was actually sloshing back and forth a bit, but there was no net forward movement of the blood. Stagnant blood flow in that kind of a vein, they say, is very rare. But the condition, um, and the condition usually occurs in legs, like when you're sitting still for a long time on an airplane, for example. Stagnant blood is what can clot, and that's the issue. Blood clots can dissolve on their own or with the help of medicine, anticoagulants. But they're saying that the blockages could also cause some serious problems like lung damage. So that's that part of it's total, to me, that's kind of interesting. But remember, we had no idea when we were going to start shooting men and women into space, we had no idea what was going to happen to their bodies. So you know what we did? We used an analog. And in the middle of the space race between the United States and Russia, we were using different animal analogs to figure out what would happen to our bodies, maybe. And I'll tell you why the Russians picked dogs to go into space and why Americans chose chimpanzees to go into space and why Coldplay may never play another concert live again. We'll explain. Gary and Shannon will continue with Strange Science.
Jen and KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Well, the hearings have wrapped up for today. The House impeachment inquiry hearings that have been going on. David Holmes, State Department official at the U.S. Embassy in Ukraine, testified today. He's the one who supposedly overheard the conversation between President Trump and Ambassador Sondland at a restaurant in Kiev the day after the July 25th phone call. And then Dr. Fiona Hill as well. She was testifying today. She was a, a, a Russia expert on the National Security Council as well. Been talking about some strange science stuff. And uh, I talked about how they found blood clotting in some astronauts. They didn't very expected that to happen. And just kind of the lack of knowledge that we have about what happens to the human body in space. When we're in the 50s, right, and we're trying to figure out what's going to happen if we shoot a human being outside the envelope of our atmosphere and gravitational pull, what goes on? I mean, there were people who thought that basic human functions, body functions, like swallowing and pumping blood to the heart would be impossible without gravity. They also thought that weightlessness would knock you out and that you would not, as a person, be able to control anything in a weightless space capsule. So we and the Soviets at the time were trying to figure out what's going to happen to a body that gets shot into space. What does Moscow have that we don't? Oh, I'll tell you. How about millions of stray dogs? They literally grabbed a dog off the street, threw it into a space capsule, and shot it into space to see what would happen. Uh, The Zib was the name of the first Russian dog. Z-I-B is actually, it's a Russian acronym for something like substitute for missing dog or substitute for small dog. They just blasted it into the edge of space, and it came back in one piece. That one did. Now, in America, we brought in chimpanzees from the Congo. We were paying for chimpanzees to come in. What I think is funny is eight out of the nine veterinarians who were working with these chimps at Holloman Air Force Base in New Mexico, eight of them got the hep. Eight of them got hepatitis from these baby chimpanzees. And they were just like kids, according to one of the vets who used to work with them. They also picked primates because of the physiological similarities to a human being. And unlike the Russians, the Soviets at the time, we wanted to find out if there were, if it was capable for a, a a beast of any kind, to carry out some sort of simple tasks. We train the chimpanzees to push buttons in a certain sequence. And if they got it wrong in their training, they'd get a little shock in their foot. And if they got it right, they would get a little banana pellet, right? So during the short flights, the chimps would just be touching the levers the whole time from launch until reentry. Now, dogs can't do that. At least they weren't expecting them to. Here's the other thing. We wanted to see if they would come back. We wanted to see if the human body could withstand re-entry into the atmosphere. The Russians? Not so much. The Russians, for example, would launch Laika. I think was Laika was the name of one of them. Um, when they would check the condition of these dogs, you know, they'd strap them up to medical equipment to make sure that they were okay. Laika 
did a complete orbit of the Earth, was breathing frantically during the launch. Her heart race had tripled the normal speed. Here's the thing. The Soviets didn't, they didn't come up with a landing plan on that one. So she died quickly after the launch from excessive heat in the capsule. Soviets stopped using dogs in the 60s. I think we only had a couple of just two chimpanzees that actually made their way into space. But now you know why. Why we had chimps and they had dogs. Coldplay fans. Coldplay fans. Oh, God. You did that on purpose. Like, I wasn't ready for that. Chris Martin, the front man of Coldplay, has told BBC that they will wait to tour their new album called Everyday Life because they want to make sure that their tour is carbon neutral. And he says, we would be disappointed if it's not carbon neutral. We've done a lot of big tours at this point. How do we turn it around so it's not so much taking as giving? Uh, How are they going to do that? How are you going to... They have two shows in Jordan in November, which will be streamed live. How do you get from one place like England to Jordan carbon neutral? I don't know. Maybe they never play again. That'd be fine by me. Hey, KFI's ninth annual Pastathon coming up Friday, December 6th. Of course, we'll be broadcasting every show live all day, Christ Cathedral and Garden Grove, and collecting money and pasta and sauce there on scene. For Katarina's Club, Chef Bruno's charity that feeds 25,000 kids every week here in Southern California, 100% of your donation goes directly to Katarina's Club. Go to any Smart and Final store, by the way, between now and then, between uh, in California, Nevada, or Arizona, any of those stores, and ask about that $10 KFI Pastathon donation featuring Barilla Pasta and Sauce, donated by Barilla and Smart and Final. They're going to add 10 bucks to your bill and... You'll get a code for a chance to win a 13-day trip for two to Italy, courtesy of Trafalgar, the world's leading guided vacation company. And we, as a show, will be auctioning off a speaking part, because it's a radio play, in Gary and Shannon present It's a Wonderful Life, coming up on December 20th. So more on that, more on the drop-off locations, more on how you can donate online. Go to pastathon.com. We'll see you tomorrow. John and Ken up next. Stay dry, everybody. Be sure to be with us next time for further adventures of Gary and Shannon.